Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Belongs to you. 
Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me Your holy name, Lord, I worship your holy name. 
Last week we were looking at, uh, in Genesis, looking at the life of Jacob, right? And, and Leah and Rachel. And today we're going to be going back in time to, to um, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, or Abram, as we're going to read in the passage today. Genesis 11, verse 27. Would you stand in honor of God's word? This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Aran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring I will give this land.'" So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, speak to us through it. Let it ring in our hearts. Let it convict let it challenge, let it encourage, Lord, make it change us to look more like you. Father, we give you all honor and glory and praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Abram is a pretty important person. There are three major world religions that claim him. Obviously, Christianity, Judaism, and also Islam. So the majority of the world looks to this Abram, or he would be called Abraham, as, the, as a father in the faith. He's Abram right now, but God will give him a new name and change his name to Abraham a little bit later. Abram means father, and Abraham means father of many. Father of many. Or you could say Abram means daddy, and Abraham means big daddy. But seriously, Abraham was important. He wasn't a person that just lived life and just went through the motions and went with the, the flow. Abraham was a person that stood against his family, 
stood against his culture. Everyone back then believed in polytheism. There were many gods that people worshipped, but Abraham embraced monotheism. He embraced the one true God. What made Abraham this way? What made Abraham distinct and different? It's the same thing that makes us all different than the world around us, and that is the call of God. What in the world is the call of God? That's what we want to look at this morning. The call of God is what makes you a Christian to start with, right? You're not a Christian unless you've heard and embraced the call of God. The call of God is what shapes your life distinctively. It should order your path. What, what makes your life Christian is the call of God. It's that you're hearing and you're answering it, not just once, but daily. I was eight years old when I experienced the call of God on my life. It was a call of repentance. It was a call to put my faith in Jesus Christ and to trust him, right? I realized the weight of my sin. God made me aware of that and called me to put my faith and trust in him, to trust him as my savior. There are calls that have come after that, right? He's called me to be a part of the work he's doing. He called me to surrender everything to him and to be sanctified. He, he's called me to be set apart. He's called me to preach. And that is a call that I remember when, when there are days that come that I want to quit. I remember the call that he's placed on my life. I want you to know. I want you to experience the call of God on your life. And not just one time, right, where you gave your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to experience that on a daily basis in different magnitudes and in ways. I want you to know it's not just a pastor thing, right? Jesus comes to us all, and he says, follow me. And that is a continual call on your life to base your decisions on that, not just that one decision, right? It's not just an adult thing. It's not just a man thing. It's a thing for us all. That's what we're going to be looking at in this small group study, and I hope every person in here decides to be a part of that in some way. Because if you do, if you say yes to that call, you get to experience God in, in ways that you probably can't even imagine right now. But if you say no, or if you say later, or you don't hear the call because you're too busy You'll be the person that sits in here and wonders, why does God use that other person in that way? And why doesn't he use me? And it's because you say no when he calls you. It's because you're too busy and you don't hear the call. The call's there. And I pray you answer it. I pray you embrace it, right? I'll tell you, the call is uncomfortable, You'll never feel qualified to answer the call. It's always a radical call. But if you answer it, it'll take you to a place you can't even 
imagine, right? He'll remind you that he's all-powerful and that it's up to him to enable you to answer that call. He'll take you to a place of true peace. He'll take you to a place of, of hope. We read the end of chapter 11, and I don't know if you get this in this part right here, but this is really depressing at the end of chapter 11. I I never really realized it, so somebody pointed it out to me. We know Genesis 1 and 2, that's the creation account, two different creation accounts that complement each other. Genesis 3, what, is the fall. It's where mankind rejects God, sin enters the world, and then from there, from 3 to the end of 11, it's bad. It's man getting worse and worse, more corrupt, more violent day by day. But there's one ray of hope in that entire passage. It's found in a single family, the family of Seth. We're told in Genesis 4 that Seth called upon the name of the Lord, which is just a Hebrewism that just means he's worshiping God. In Seth's family, the knowledge of the one true God was preserved and passed on. The start of the passage that we read, though, in the end of 11, there is the account of Terah and his sons, one being Abram. And we see this is the end of the line because Terah means moon. And Ur of the Chaldeans was known as being the center of lunar worship. Terah is a, is a, is a relative of Seth. And so we're seeing that this family line that had taken and had worshiped God as the one true God, they were getting off track and starting to fall away. We, we learn this in Joshua. You don't see it clearly here, but Joshua 24 verse 2 says, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Do you realize how devastating it is what we read at the end of 11, right? Terah has turned to idol worship and maybe we still have Abram, right? Maybe we still have him, but what's his story? What's his wife's story? She's barren. This line is about to end. The one glimpse of hope in these chapters, this family that once worshipped the one true God, has turned from that. And maybe the only person that is still doing that, their line is about to end. Have you ever been in a hopeless situation where you just don't see any path forward. That's what we see here today, right? But God speaks. But God calls those who are spiritually dead, maybe even physically dead, back to life. That's the call of God, right? I pray we all get this. I pray more than anything that my kids get this. My kids have been raised in this church, and I think it's a good church, right? My kids have had good teachers in, when they were kids, Eddie and Jeremy, right? 
teachers that loved on them, beat on them, tortured them. They've got good teachers right now, Aaron and Jody, leading them towards Christ, challenging them with that. They have a father who preaches, right? And they hear those sermons when they aren't sleeping. (laughs) At home, they hear messages from their mother. They see their mother get up early in the morning, every morning, and have her quiet time alone with God. They have awesome grandparents that encourage them towards God. They are set up, but unless they hear and respond to the call of God, it's not going to do nothing. So that's what I pray. I pray that God comes and calls them and and calls them and and turns their life upside down in a radical way. I pray he convicts them. I pray he humbles them, right? I pray he challenges them. But unless the call comes and they embrace it, they're just going to be nice little idol worshipers. That's what they'll be. That's what we'll all be unless we respond to the call of God. Like Abraham, it doesn't matter how good your family was or is. They might have been good people in the world's eyes. They might be religious and moral, right? But if they don't embrace God's call, what good is it? There'll be people who look to something else besides God for their hope, for peace, for their security, They'll be people that live for their careers, live for the almighty dollar. They'll live for relationships. I've got to have this person or that person in my life for it to be complete. They're going to live for status or something else unless the call of God comes on their lives and they respond to it and they say, I'm all in. I'll follow you no matter what that means. I pray that they hear that and they respond to that continually. I know that process has started but I pray that it continues. It's not a call just to make one decision. It starts with one decision, but it's a continual call to surrender your life completely to him and live for him every day, right? I pray that that's the priority of their life. I pray that's the priority of my life. I pray that's the priority of your life. Parents, if you've got kids, pray that. That they hear God saying, follow me, and they say yes to that. Parents, model that. You got to model it. You got to encourage it. I don't care. I care if they come to church. I love that they've been baptized but I want them to follow God because they could, they could come to church, they could get baptized and just do it out of ritual or for some other reason. I want God to get a hold of their lives and change it. I want God to get a hold of my life and change it, right? Parents, pray for that. Uh, my faith when I was their age was my mom's. She was a godly believer, prayed and did all those things, and, and that's where my faith come, came from. And it took me losing everything to finally have nothing in the way of me hearing God's call on my life, the call to surrender everything, the call to be sanctified, and responding to that 
It took everything. And I pray that it doesn't take that for you. But if it does, I'll praise God for that. The call of God should absolutely turn your life upside down. If you are not radically different now than before the call, I don't know if you're really answering the call. And that's a scary place to be. There should be spiritual progress. There should be spiritual growth, right? Not every day in every way, and you don't mess up or anything like that, but you should see a pattern in your your life where you are growing. You should see that you are connected to the vine, and God is producing fruit through your life. If you're not, are you connected to the vine? You got to do that. You don't focus in on producing the fruit. You focus in on being connected and let the fruit be produced through you. Ah, James, I'm good. I don't have any vices in my life. Never really did. You know, I've been a Christian. I accepted Christ when I was younger, and I'm just doing good, and I don't have anything to repent of. I would ask you, are you on mission? Are you on mission? When's the last time you witnessed to somebody? Led somebody to Christ? Served someone? Don't think you're good. Nobody's good. But God, are you on mission? Is there fruit being produced? You need to ask yourself that and be real with yourself. Amen? Point one, the call of God should flip your life upside down, should wreck your life. That's what we say, right? You should, you should go from thinking you're it, you're something amazing, to thinking, wow, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And thank God that he gives that to me, right? The closer I go to grow to God, the more I realize how in need of God's grace I am. You should be living from yourself to living for others, to living for him. Second, the call of God is full of grace, right? Abram's unqualified. Abram is not a good guy. Abram is not a faithful man at this point. But the call comes to Abram because of all those things. Because he needs the grace of God. He has no hope without it. That's what the call of God gives you, right? There's a movie that came out in 1964 called Beckett. I don't know if any of you remember that, but Peter O'Toole plays King Henry II, and Richard Burton plays uh, Thomas Beckett, a cleric. Think a minister, a preacher, right? It's based on a true story. Henry and Thomas are drinking buddies. They like to have a good time. Both were corrupt, and one day the Archbishop of Canterbury died. Henry has a brainstorm. King Henry has a brainstorm. I'm going to make my friend Thomas the next Archbishop. Thomas is just a regular guy. He's not going to call me out on all the things that I shouldn't be doing, right? Because he's doing them right with me. So he does that. But something happens. Thomas is shaken to the core because he knows that even though this appointment has come for all the wrong reasons, even though he's corrupt, even though he's not a good person, even though he's unqualified, right? He is now the Archbishop of England. And suddenly he senses the call of God on his life. He realizes the grace that comes with it because he knows he's unworthy. And it completely changes him. He becomes a man of integrity. He represents the gospel. He starts to call Henry out 
on some things. Henry is just filled with a lot of conflict, though. Oh, man, what is my good friend doing? He's, he's, he's friends with him, right? But now he's got this guy that's constantly talking to him, telling him to change his ways, give up the things that he shouldn't be. And he says something when he gets drunk one night. He's in the company of his knights, and he says to them, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? And the knights go to the cathedral, and they end up killing Thomas. 1770, 1170 A.D., this really happened. In the movie, as Thomas was dying, he says, Ah, poor Henry. In those words, we see the call of God and the grace of God, right? The call has the power to make us holy, It makes us like Christ who on the cross while being executed said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? The call of God is so powerful, it will flip your life upside down because when God comes near, you realize that there is nothing good in you. And it is only by the grace of God that you have any hope. And so you're desperate for that. And that has the power to change you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are or who you were. The call of God is full of grace and can bring life when there is barrenness. It brings hope. So that's what the call does. But what does the call look like? Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That is a radical call, right? Go from your country, your people, your father's household. The King James says, get thee out. If we go back to 1131, it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together, listen to this, they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They're on their way to the promised land, but they come to Haran and they settle there. How many people in here today have been called to go to Canaan, but Haran looks pretty good, pretty comfortable, and we're going to stay there? And miss out on it, right? Miss out on what God has for them. Abraham's family family went halfway and stopped. That's why God's call comes to Abraham and he says, get thee out. Get out of there, right? That's not the area that I have for you. And that's what he's saying to some of you today because some of you have gone halfway. You committed to something, but you've gone halfway and you stayed where you're comfortable, And God says, I've got something far better for you. Get out of there. Get away from your family if you need to. Get out and go, right? It might look 
like, wow, this family left their home for God. Look at how great they are. They did all this. They, they made this effort. But this half effort is disobedience. It's 100% disobedience. Get thee out of there. Follow the call of God in your life, wherever that is, and don't go halfway, right? It's not good enough to go halfway. Whatever that means for you today, whatever way the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, it's 100% disobedience. It's not enough for you to be a part of a church to attend regularly. That's good, but it's not enough. You have to listen and answer the call. You've got to use the spiritual gifts that he gives you together with the body to impact this world to take on the brokenness and the darkness, to be that salt and light. You have to experience God yourself. It has to be your faith, teens. It can't be your parents' faith. There's no going halfway. All right. The other thing in this passage you're really going to hate. All right, I'm just giving you an upfront thing. You're going to hate this next part. Everyone does. I do. The call of God is a call to surrender your will to surrender what you want to do completely to him. Go from your country, your people, your father's household, here we go, to the land I will show you. To the land I will show you? Honestly, that's terrible. I hate that, right? I want an address. I want GPS. I want latitude. I want longitude. I want a distance. Go five miles, right? I want markers, go to the gas station, make a left there, go by a big tree, make a right there. Like, I want to know that. Or at least, at least God, tell me where I'm not going to go. Reassure me of that, right? Because I'm praying, Lord, please don't make me a preacher. Please don't call me to the mission field. Don't call me to give my money away. Don't call me to downsize my house. Get out and I will show you the land to which you're to go. Can I encourage you with something? Don't play the what-if game. I love to play this game, right? Don't play. What if God calls me to be a street preacher? Don't ask God to to tell you the destination because part of the journey is what's going to build your faith. If you try to stay in control, he will never be in control. Right? It will just prevent you from experiencing God in an incredible, life-changing way. You can't stay on the throne. The call of God is a call to die. I told the teens this morning, when he calls us to follow him, where is he headed? He's headed to the cross. Where did the disciples go? They went to their death, except for John. He was boiled alive but made it through that. The call to follow Jesus, though, is a call to go to the cross, to die to yourself, whatever that means for you, right? The call of God is like Lord of the Rings, but we think it's like The Hobbit. Do you know what I mean? The Hobbit's a kid's book. It's an adventure. But the Lord of the Rings is a quest. It's different. An adventure is there and back again. It's an exciting thing that you choose to do, that you choose to be a part of. 
You, you go on this adventure, you have this thrill, and then you come home and things just pick up right where you left off. You go to church on Sunday, you hear a message that piques your interest, but then you just go right back to Monday, back to the same old thing. Or maybe you go on a mission trip for a couple weeks, but you come home and go right back to reality. That's the hobbit, right? A quest is not something you choose. Instead, it comes to you. You're called to it because of what's involved. It stirs your heart. You never truly come back from a quest. You never go back to your normal life because the quest changes you, radically changes you. Heck, you might not even come back from it. That's Lord of the Rings. Too many people see Christianity as an adventure. And if it appeals to me, I'll go on it. If it's something that looks fun, I'll go on it, right? It's not a quest. God God says, get thee out. You ain't coming back here again. You ain't coming back to your old life again. It's going to stay in the past, right? Life will never be the same for you again. You're going to be radically changed. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Unless you are willing to say, Lord, whatever your will is, I'll do it without any conditions. If you won't do that, you can't answer the call of God. Pure and simple. You have to surrender your will. I told you you wouldn't like it, right? It's radical, but it's the call. It's missionally radical. Look at this. I will bless you. Why would you bless me? That you may be a blessing. Because through you, all the families and the people of the earth will be blessed. To become a Christian is to become somebody who's changed so that now you're not making decisions based on what's best for you, but you're making decisions on what God wants you to do, what he's calling you to do. You don't base your decisions on comfort, right? Where do I live? What job do I have? What do I do? Do I come to church? Do I not? Do I serve in this or do I not? Is it going to be comfortable? Is it going to be scary? You don't base your decisions on that. You just follow God with whatever he calls you to do. The call of God reshapes you. The call of God is where can I join God in the work that he's doing and be a blessing to others? People are always like, I just don't want to give this up or that up. Like you you can have this part of my life and you can have that part of my life. You can have 70% of my life, but let me hold on to this, right? I'm going to continue to seek to to be blessed in this one way, right? If you seek to be blessed, you'll be empty. How do you know that? Because you're empty right now. Because it never fills you and you always have to look for something else, right? You aren't happy. You aren't content for very long. But if you seek to be a blessing, to bless others, God fills you overflowing, right? Why? So you can fill other people around you. To say no to God is to miss out on that filling, to miss out on the fullness of God. Doesn't that make sense, right? If you aren't going to be a blessing to other people, why would God fill you? What would be the point of that? It'd be in vain. It'd be for nothing if you're just going to keep that blessing to yourself, right? Seek others. 
and he'll bless you, right? Don't think about what you're called to give up, comfort, status. Think about what you're potentially missing out on by saying no. Experiencing God, the promised land, being a blessing to others. What would have Abram have missed out on if he said no when God said, get thee out? No, nah, I'm not, not going to do it. I'm comfortable here, right? What is it would have his family missed out on if he said no? Hebrews 11, 8, again, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, that's how he did it. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, And listen to this. And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's our God. What did Abraham want more than anything? He wanted a kid. He wanted heirs, right? And what did he get? descendants more numerous than the sand on the seashore. You're thinking of all the things that you're going to give up and how horrible that is, but God's got something far better for you if you say yes. It might not even be something that you even realize at this point. But if he calls you in faith, will you say yes? Or will you say nah, I'm going to stay where I'm at, right? Seek the kingdom because he wants to give you all those things. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm not promising you will never be sick or you'll have all this money or anything like that. What I'll promise you is you'll have God. You'll get to experience him. It might cost you your life. Let's just be up front, right? Who knows where our world is going? It might cost you prison. It might cost you financial hardship, right? But you'll have God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this will be given to you as well. You're chasing after that part, the second part. All this will be given to you. But you're doing it the wrong way. You've got to seek first his kingdom and trust the rest with him. You, you might look at Abram, people might look at Abram and think, poor him. He had to live in tents right? He had to wander around. His kids had to live in tents. He never really got to make his home in the promised land. He could have stayed where he was and been far more comfortable with his wife in that home. Poor guy, right? Ah, but he got to be involved in what God was doing to bless the entire world. What's better than that, right? He and his wife got to experience the grace of God because even though they're as good as dead, she's past, well past the age of childbearing. Barren. But they have a son, right? I don't know what the call of God is on your life, but I know if you say no, you're going to miss out on it. 
You're going to miss out on what God has for you. Your family's going to miss out on it. Maybe for generations. I don't know. Do you see that? Do you grasp it? But if you say yes, and I know it's going to be hard, I know you're not going to think you feel qualified, but it has the ability to impact generations. You love your kids? I know you do. Follow him in whatever way that means. If he calls you to the mission field, you might be thinking, oh man, what what are my kids going to have to give up? What are they going to gain? Right? You don't see what he sees. You don't see the path that he sees, but he sees it clearly. And he wants good things for you. Better things than what you want. The things that you want and I want, they're things that don't last. They're temporary. He's got something far better for you. Ah, James, I don't know. I'll never be able to handle this call. Yeah, you won't. You're forgetting something too. There's somebody who handled it already for you. And he just says, follow me. I'll make the way. I'll make the path. I'll work it all out. You just follow me and whatever that means. I don't know what the call is to follow Christ for you. I don't know what it will look like. It might cost you your life. But your eternity will be set. Maybe generations will be set. I want to give you an answer, an opportunity to answer the call in whatever way that God might be leading you. I just want a time to pray with you. Maybe you're the person that God is calling right now to lay down a vice or lay something down, right? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an idol, something that you shouldn't be involved in. And God's saying, lay it down. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're saying, I've already tried to lay that down 20 times, right? Lay it down. Lay it down again and again and again, and if you fall, fall towards the cross and grab onto him, right, and cling to his grace and seek his forgiveness, but keep laying it down when he calls you to lay it down. And one day it'll stick. I guarantee you it. Battled porn way too long. Battled other vices way too long. Lay it down. Maybe you're somebody that answered the call of God halfway, and you know it. I, I gave up everything. I gave up 90%, but this one thing I'm hanging on to. Lay it down, whatever it is. Surrender your life completely. We are a holiness denomination. We believe in sanctification. We believe in the call to surrender everything. My friends, that's when Christianity gets exciting, is when you die to yourself and surrender everything to him and say, it's all about you. It's not about me. That's called. Maybe you're the person that doesn't know Christ right at this moment, and you feel God tugging on your heart, and he's calling you to come forward and follow him, whatever that means. Maybe you're the person that's going to say, man, I realize I'm a sinner, and I am in need of God's grace, and I want to come and accept that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the person who can't forgive somebody right now. You need to lay it down. Maybe you're the person that has a complaining spirit going on right now. I feel like that's going on a lot. 
I feel like that's going on in my life right now. Maybe he's calling you to lay those things down. Whatever it is, will you do that? Stand with me. I want to pray for you. Listen, if you're good to go, you're 100% right with God, you can go. Okay? You're good. Or maybe you can stay and just pray for people who aren't 100% right with God. But if God's calling you to something, whatever that is, would you come now so that we can pray for you, so that I can pray for you? Would you come and lay whatever's down that he's calling you to lay down to him? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the ones that have come, Lord, and I pray that you would answer their prayers. I pray that you would enable them to surrender every part of their life to you. And I pray that they would find peace, they would find grace, they would find whatever they're searching for. Maybe they're praying for somebody else, Lord. Father, would you touch them? Would you set them apart? Will you fill them with their spirit? Will you help them to, if they need to surrender it all, to surrender it all to you? Would you set them apart and change them, Father? Would you call them to something? Whatever it is, Lord, would you call us all to that? Father, if there's something that they need to lay down and they're struggling with it, will you give them a whole lot of grace? with it? Would you remind them that they are a child of the king? Would you remind them that you don't remember our sins when we repent of them? Father, would you give them a new name? A name that glorifies you. Would you give them a new identity in you? Father, if there's attitudes that need to be changed, Father, would you break them? Lord, if there's disunity in this church, would you remove it and replace it with unity towards you and what you're calling us to do? Father, would you humble us? Would you break us? Would you put us back together? Lord, would you revive our church in a mighty way? And would you use us, Lord? Father, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.